Podcasts are an independent way for podcasters like me to bring a local voice to your ears. At the Spent the Rent Podcast, we strive to raise awareness of topics that affect the often underrepresented. Our title sponsor, Oregon Cashflow Pro, offers free money management advice that can help you take control of your finances. At OregonCashflowPro.com, you will find videos to guide you towards your goal of financial freedom. For more info, there will be a link in the show notes. The following podcast is available on all major streaming sites, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can now listen to all previous episodes, donate to the podcast, and buy shirts directly from the Spent the Rent podcast at our newly designed official website, strpod.com. My guest today is a local Eugene, Oregon pastor, Gabe Pikovitz. Pastor Gabe, welcome to the show. Hey, great to be here, Patty. So excited for this morning with you. Yeah, so this is a real cool opportunity to get to chat with you. I met you. You had came in to get a beard trim. As uh, my uh, video listeners or uh, followers can see that you have a healthy beard. (laughs) And so uh, came and got a beard trim in the barbershop and we got to talking and your email was Pastor Gabe at whatever and... uh, I, I we just I started conversation based on that because when you had booked your appointment, uh, I saw that and I was like, oh, he's a pastor. And then you started telling me your story, and I immediately was like, wow, this is exactly the kind of stuff I like to talk about on the podcast. And also a little side note, I thought it was funny. I think this is the first time I've I've ever kind of got into the realm of faith on the podcast, and this is a cool opportunity. One of the things I pride myself on is doing shows about uh, diversity and about a diverse uh, ideology and just allowing people to kind of live in their own space and, and celebrate that. And so I'd be a hypocrite if I didn't once in a while, welcome my doors to someone of, of, a, of religious uh, faith, Christians, even uh, I'd love to talk to people that uh, are Muslim, Mormon, whatever, you know, and I've talked to actually some Mormon missionaries about doing that. And so I just think it's really important that we are bumping elbows with literally everyone. So, so first of all, pastor Gabe, uh, thanks for doing this, and this is a, a big honor. Yeah, it's my pleasure to be here, Patty, and I, I couldn't agree with you more, especially in a community like Eugene, Oregon, where there's so much diversity and different life experiences. we got to get more comfortable being in the same room, sharing our, our stories, our backgrounds, our challenges, and being okay that they're all going to be a little bit different, and we're coming at it from different angles, but I think if we can all get more comfortable with what you're doing here. Uh, we're just better for it as a community. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of things that people are going to listen today are going to appreciate about what you're doing. So there's a big reason that I wanted to have you on and some of the work you're doing. <laughs> uh, namely, uh, the big thing that you've gotten attention for over the last year or so or, or a little over is that you're building tiny homes with the houseless community. And so we're going to talk about that towards the end of this episode. So everybody is going to really love uh, hearing about what you're doing with that work. It's pretty incredible. So first I'd like to talk about who you are as a man, uh, born in, in Buffalo, New York and moved to Eugene in, in the late nineties, 1998. What brought you to Oregon? What was it that kind of led to that move? Uh, it's just a crazy story, but as you might remember, Patty, 1998, we didn't have really have internet yet. There certainly was no Google machine. 
And so if you wanted to pick a college, it was this big fat book in the library that just listed all the colleges in America and you'd flip through and there are little facts about them. And I was doing that as a good high school junior. And all I could think to myself was you're going to be 18 soon. And if you're going to have a great adventure in your life, now is the time. So I literally tried to find an educational route to adventure. And that's where I landed on the page. It said University of Oregon, as I said it back then. <laughs> and I had never been here before. I had no association with it. I didn't know anything about the state at all. And I'll never forget when I finally made the bold choice to take a trip out to Eugene to go to college and have a great adventure, telling my high school teachers and them being like, oh, man, I think they might still have cowboys and Indians out there. Gabe, are you sure, are you sure this is a good idea? And I said, even better. The more adventure, the better. And I was also a huge competitive runner in high school and back then before the internet we would literally hear ghost stories of prefontaine yeah. at track meets a coach who had been out west would say oh you got to hear about this pre-guy it's a legend and that was part of the allure to this part of the country was man there's ghosts out there and these legends of great runners and the frontier and so i hopped on, on a plane and i never went back yeah and then so you became, uh, I will get to a point of how you became officially an Oregonian, but college, <laughs> college didn't really work out. Is that correct? Or did you finish your degree at, at Oregon? Nope. Nope. I came out here and the only way I could really get out here was to pair my, uh, first year with the ROTC program. And so I came out, I did ROTC. And at the end of my freshman year at U of O, they said, Hey, we'd love to offer you the three-year scholarship. You sign on the dotted line. We pay for the rest of the way. But then of course, you know, when you graduate, you have to go do your four years of service in the military as an exchange. And when I sat with that piece of paper, I said, I couldn't sign it. And so I ended up having to put school down and get a job in order to stay out here in Oregon. And, and that was the last I touched my education for a very long time. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a huge commitment and props to the people that do take that plunge that do. Yeah, no doubt. Know. Absolutely. At the barbershop, one of my favorite things about being a barber is that I've gotten to really have a good relationship with the ROTC program. And, that's awesome. And people like, I'm not a, I mean, growing up in the nineties for me in 98, <laughs> I was a high school kid. And I was a little bit of an anarchist. And so I had yeah. these really strong opinions about people, military and all that different stuff. And yeah. I'm really honored and that I've gotten to become really good friends and watch the process of that and yeah. of ROTC and then also with, with full-on enlisted military. So, yeah, a little side note. Yeah. But, so then you, you said you had, had looked at, you know, your had to work and uh, what, what job in Oregon is going to be the most uh, consistent other than logging. So you got into logging and tell yes. me a little bit about that. Oh my gosh. So I, uh, I was doing a job at the time before logging and I was working in an autism clinic with, uh, with some folks and I met my future wife there and we started dating and fell in love. And I thought to myself, man, uh, if I'm going to have a wife and probably kids someday, I'm going to have to get a job that pays a little bit better than what I'm getting here. And so I, again, pre-internet got the want ads in the register guard. And at the bottom, there was this little ad. All it said was logging help needed $12 an hour to start. And I was like, $12 an hour to start. I'd have to work here for the next 12 years to get $12 an hour. So I went in to the owner's office. And he asked me if I've ever climbed a tree before. And I literally thought he meant like an apple tree in your backyard as a kid. And I'm like, oh, I've climbed tons of trees. And he's thinking like high climbing is a lumberjack. And I and so we're getting this false impression of each other. And he hires me and he said, hey, just be at Albertson's parking lot at three o'clock in the morning on Monday. And I'm like, man, that's kind of weird. Why would you have to get up so early to go to work? And I hop in this crummy and we drive and we drive and we drive. 
And we finally get out at the top of the Sandy Ann Pass on this logging job. And I had no idea what I was getting into. I opened the truck door and there's logs flying through the sky, machinery everywhere and grump, grusly guys everywhere. And I was like, what did I just get myself into? <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> That's awesome. So you did that for yeah. about 15 years. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, I mean, as you can just describe, which is all the chaos going on and everything. I mean, it's organized, but but there's a lot to it. It's a very dangerous job, you know, and tell me mm -hmm. a little bit of some of the injuries that, that people would, you know, sustain in, on that kind of work. Yeah, well, it goes from injuries to the very worst, and I certainly experienced it all. And so for myself, uh, I had a very major injury due to logging. I was walking across this skinny log uh, that had been cut down, tree that had been cut down. It was about 10 feet off the ground, and I had a big old armful of cables on each shoulder, and I slipped off, and I landed straight down like a pencil on a flat rock and it took my spine and went wow. and took those lower vertebrae and just smashed them together. And so had to have pretty serious back surgery uh, about two thirds of the way through my logging career. And then any other kind of injury you could ever possibly imagine. And unfortunately uh, have had to bury a, a couple buddies that uh, just went to work and didn't get to come home. So yeah. it's a hard, hard world out there. Um, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. And I met some of the most amazing humans yeah. Just brilliantly create it all. Oh, just such a special treat to be in, in league with some of the guys I got to do logging with for yeah. sure. So 15 years of it, which, which, like I said before, kind of makes you officially an Oregonian. Uh, so, you know, that really, when did it start to kind of come to fruition that it was like, I cannot continue doing this obviously with the injuries and that kind of stuff, but what did that process look like? Yeah. So it was probably, I don't know how my timelines are all fuzzy, but about five years ago. So the writing was on the wall. Uh, if I was going to continue in this industry, I was going to have to get off the ground and in a piece of machinery because my body was starting to bark back pretty tough. It's a young man's game for sure. And I had no desire to sit in a piece of machinery. That just is not me. And so I was kind of left in this weird pivot point of life. And I just felt an overwhelming energy spirit that said, Gabe, let's get you back in the classroom. And I didn't even know what that looked like. I just knew that if I was going to have a new job midlife, I probably needed some education or training. And so I thought, you know, go finish that degree you started so long ago. And so I uh, went and applied at Bushnell University here in Eugene, Oregon. It got accepted and went to my login boss and said, here's the deal. I, I really want to do this, but I know it's hard to be a student and be up on the Cascade Mountains all day, every day. That's two hours away. And he was gracious enough to say, you know, Gabe, we believe in what you're doing here and we'd like to give you a different job position so you can do both. You can go to school and help the logging company out. And that was the last key, you might say, to open in the door all the way. And it, it went in and it fit and it clicked and, and away we went. Wow. So Bushnell, for anybody unfamiliar, uh, it's kind of new. Uh you know, Bushnell, formerly uh, Northwest Community, Northwest Christian College, Christian University. So I'm old. <laughs> so in this, in, <laughs> yeah, this Eugene, a lot in this, of names. in this Eugene story, so Northwest Christian uh, Community College for a while, and then it was Northwest Christian uh, University, and then recently it changed to Bushnell. And again, where I work right on campus, I have met so many people from that community. Also, a wonderful, wonderful community. Uh, absolutely, you know, and, and so they do require at a Christian school for you to take classes on, uh, religious studies. How did the whole ministry program come to fruition? When I met you off, you know, before you had told me it wasn't something that you had even considered. Now, what was it about? First of all, what was it about Bushnell that made you want to apply to that school? 
Well, I, I, when I had the, the you know, this in, inclination to go back to college, you basically got three choices in town here. You got University of Oregon, Lane Community College, or Bushnell um, are the major options in front of you. So I looked at all three and Lane didn't really feel like a good fit. And U of O is just too big. And I wanted more of a personal experience finishing up my education. And so Bushnell just fit the bill or at that time, Northwest Christian University, as you said. And I literally rolled in the door one day after coming off the mountain and I'm covered in grease and saw chips and dirty clothes and greasy boots. And I walked into the admissions office and I said, man, I don't even know if you'd want a guy like me around here, but this is my story. And they said, just apply and see what happens. And I did. And they accepted me and away we went. And uh, and I didn't declare a major or anything. I thought, you know, just get back in the seat kind of get back in the groove of being a student and I was in classes not very long and as you said one of the first classes I had to take was a required Old Testament survey class where you learned about the Old Testament and I'm in the class and the professor calls me and he's like you need to come to my office and I'm like oh man I'm already the creepy old guy in the back of the room because I'm you know 36 and all these kids are 18 and then the professor needs to see me after class I'm like this is not going well and I went into his office and he said, Gabe, what are you doing with the rest of your life? And I said, I'm trying to figure that out. And he said, I just figured it out for you. And he said, the things you're saying, the papers you're writing, the questions you're asking about stuff in the Bible, man, you need to look at ministry pretty seriously. Yeah. And so what did you think? I mean, was it something that clicked immediately or? <clears throat> no, not immediately. It was just kind of like a, you know, it was nice to get that praise for my performance in the class, but I had never really given it too much of a consideration or serious thought. And so um, what I did agree to was, hey, we'll just take this one step at a time. So what's the next faith-based or religious class you would offer after this one? And I'll take that and see how that goes. And then it just became this sort of like momentum building waterfall almost to where it got to a point maybe a year after that where I committed to the program of ministry major because every time I was in these classes, it was like popcorn and kinetic energy. And it just was like, yeah, I, I do got a place in this story. Yeah. You know, I don't want to get sidetracked to talk about myself too much, but there was, when I was in school, I went to South and there's a placement test for careers where they're like, where you, you know, you do this little quick test and mine was interestingly enough was predominantly clear G-men was what they were recommending. And they said that they had never seen it before. Like they said, wow. Yeah. They're like, she's like, I don't even know if I'm allowed to tell you this in a public school, especially (laughs) South Eugene. And my grandpa was a pastor and uh, we, I was raised Lutheran, which I always say is, is diet Catholic. And so uh, my grandpa was a pastor and, you know, I was really honored to even for them to say that that's what kind of charisma you have. So that's what it takes yeah. is charisma. That's really yeah. what it takes yeah. is charisma. And f- to be a pastor like you are from the little I know about you, you have to be able to be willing to ask questions, but also not necessarily need the definitive answers. You know, that's what, and we'll get to that in a bit, but that's really cool that, that that person believed in you. I know that they've got a goal, but I think that there's a reason that they actually do it. I don't think it's like, they're just going to let anybody, because this represents all through your career. Now doing this, you're representing Bushnell too, you know, in that, in that community. So I think that they want to put themselves out there for it. Mm -hmm. So now how early on in that process did you know this is the right move for me that you started buying into what that man believed in you, the Dean or whatnot. Yeah. Probably my senior year. I, um, I had to do my internship as part of the education program. And I landed at a small church here in Eugene. And once I was out of the classroom and on the ground, interacting with people, 
it was this sort of beautiful synergy or nexus of all that logging experience and all of my adventuring to get out to Oregon to begin with meeting with this, you know, power of God, you might say, and into the community I went and it just was magical as I interacted with people uh, with the only agenda of, Hey, I want to get to know your story. And I want to share with you, if you want me to, that there's, there's someone out, there's powers out there and hope out there that, that goes right along with your story. And each person's story can be wildly different. And that amazing uplifting hope applies to each one, just the same. And so it's the ultimate, like knocking down all the walls that we separate each other's with hope, hope goes everywhere. It right. goes everywhere. Absolutely. No. And so I almost saw myself in down guts of West Eugene as like a hope dealer, maybe. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So now you had told me before that you're not really one for traditional, uh, in your words, traditional North American church model centered around Sunday corporate church model. So elaborate on that. What is the, what would you consider the corporate church model? So in North America for a very long time, we all kind of collectively as a culture know church to be Sunday morning, right? Sunday morning, you get up, you go to church. There's this kind of predictable routine of, hey, we're going to sing some religious songs together. There might be communion. Um, and then someone's going to get up and deliver a sermon, which is basically an educational lesson about something in the Bible or the religious text that group is following. And then there's a component of fellowship and friendship and hanging out afterwards. You know, the typical church potluck kind of represents that piece of it. And my experience with that has never been amazing. And I just would find so many people had no desire in that whatsoever for all sorts of crazy different reasons. And I don't really care about the reasons, just observing, hey, if everybody in Eugene wanted to answer those three big questions, why am I here? Does my life really matter? And what happens after I die? And that's usually the faith community that you go to to help sort those out. If they're not going to what we have already, and they're not, because if everyone in Eugene wanted to go to a faith group on a Sunday morning, there's not enough seats in all the churches, right. not even close, right? right? But what do we have? We have tons of empty seats in all the churches on Sunday mornings, by and large. So I thought, you know, it's not an either or. I'm glad that's out there. I'm glad it works for a lot of people. But what if there's different ways we can do faith community that makes sense to more people that this doesn't make sense to and just provide spaces for folks to explore faith and and hope and all that good stuff uh, in a way that makes sense for them? I think what's so important is for people to feel heard, you know, so a lot of times when they feel like they're talked to or at. Yeah, yeah, they don't really it just doesn't resonate with them. So I did a lot of my time in my teen years in, in youth group and I really appreciated mm-hmm. it because we did stuff like we'd be at Dairy Queen and we'd be at. Yeah. So the people my youth pastor was a mentor, was a role yeah. model, you know, yep. and it was also a companion and it had and he had my back, you know, yeah. so that's what's important for a lot, especially young people is that yeah. they can speak. You don't want to just be talked at, you know, yep. and so I think that's yep. really important. Now, you have told me a little bit about uh, not being a fan of the Sunday service, the Sunday sermon for you. And like you said, again, it's we want to drill this home to each their yeah. own. If that worked for yep. you, that's wonderful. But yep. we're working on getting the people that fall through the cracks that it doesn't yep. work for. Now, Absolutely. What does uh, your your church party look like? Now, this is where you, where you like to <laughs> so, go. About, yeah, go on and elaborate. So just to, just to be fair, we haven't had our first one yet, but I'm super excited about it. So kind of what I decided was, Uh, I look at the model of Jesus, which is the particular faith leader that I get behind and follow. 
And I look at his stories we have in the Bible of his time on earth, and he literally came inviting everyone he came in contact to, to an eternal party. That's what he described heaven as. It's a banquet. It's a feast. And everyone's there, and the table is diverse and beautiful, and there's no pain or crying. And everybody's in the glory of whoever created this great, big, huge universe. He basically said, you should follow me because I'm taking you to a party that never ends. And while he was on earth, he did parties. He would go into a town. He'd find out who's having the gathering that night. And he would just go and do life with these people and just be present with them and whatever their context, context was. So that's what we're going to try. We're building, we'll get into this a little bit later, I know, but we're building tiny homes in a warehouse. And once a month or so, when we're done building a couple tiny homes, we're going to have a great big feast. And people are going to come. Anybody's got a finger in the story. I don't care if you're tracking with Gabe, this Gabe, because our lead builder's name is Gabe, tracking with this Gabe on religious stuff, or you're just pounding nails with the other Gabe. Come and hang out. Celebrate what we've done together, the things we've created together, the beauty we've made in this community. I'll share a very relatable story about our inspiration, which is the person of Jesus when he was on earth. And then it goes from there. And then I don't need to force it. You know, Jesus is a big boy. He can make his own introductions and make his own relationships, ha relationships happen. I'm there to help, but I don't need to force it. And I got to think that a lot of people are going to like that sort of you choose your own adventure as you interact with this community of faith um, to this degree that makes sense to you, that you're comfortable with. Now, this is going to be completely out of left field, but do you know this? Do you, and I'm going to put you on the spot. Do you okay. know the story of Gabriel in the Bible? The angel. Okay. Tell me the story about of Gabriel. Cause, and then I have a personal story that's really eerie. So, but anyway, go ahead. <laughs> well, Gabriel is an archangel and in the Bible, he helps deliver messages for God. There's another archangel, Michael. And what's interesting about Michael and Gabriel that I appreciate is everybody has this flowery image of angels in there. You know, Hollywood is produced for us. But when you read the biblical text, anytime Gabriel or Michael or another angel shows up, people are scared out of their minds. They usually fall down on their faces or they run the other way or they don't even know what to say or do because the presence of an angel is so magnificent and powerful. And what I like about uh, Gabriel and Michael and these other angels is, yeah, they're scary and intense, but they're, they're representatives of God. Yeah, so I have a really interesting story. And I, I know that people are always like, don't talk about yourself, but it's my show. <laughs> it's my show. So... When I, was in, when I was in beauty school, I'm a barber. So when I was in beauty school, there was a jewelry store next to it on Main Street in Springfield. This is 100 years ago. And this guy comes over, and I'm cutting his hair. He's super eccentric, flamboyant guy. And he gets to talking to me, and he's like, you know, my name – and his name was Gabriel. And he's like, you mm -hmm. know, my name used to be pa Patrick. And I'm like, really? And he's like, I changed it to Gabriel because I had this calling because, uh, you know, he, he was inspired by – the story yeah. of the Bible. And I'm like, that's pretty self-righteous and whatnot to choose yeah, that yeah. for yourself. <laughs> but he got to talking to me and he's like, he's like, I know I was, he's like, look at me. Cause he was very flamboyant. And he's like, I know it's really large, but I'm telling you right now, I'm coming to you telling you this story and that I'm feeling compelled. And this is be, uh, beyond me, but I had to be in your chair right now. And it was one of those serendipitous moments. And he told me about myself. I had known him for five minutes and he starts telling yeah. me about how, charisma and and kindness compassion and just he's like you are something special and it was i'll never forget it you know it was yeah. like one of these crazy things so there's always been this appreciation for the name gabriel and for that story because of for me because i'm like what the heck was that you know and yeah. it was something bigger yeah. than myself and that was yep 
the lowest point in my life. Well, no, there's been lower, but at that time, <laughs> at that time, <laughs> the lowest point in my life at that time, I was 18. I was living alone. My parents were out of the area. I was in school. I was like scared to death. And this guy had to tell me that he believed in me, just like that, yeah. that, that, uh, administrator at, at Bushnell believing in you and saying, I know yeah. not only do I believe in you, you are going to be who inspires others. And that is, yeah. such, a, is such an incredible yeah. thing. So I don't want to go. That's through. awesome. Patty. Yeah. It was a really neat story. So that is cool. Uh, now with faith, it's important to find what works for you. Uh, different outlooks and approaches can reach those who otherwise have turned off to the idea of church. We kind of talked about that. Mm-hmm. What do you find is your role for your your follower for your uh, parish? Uh, I'm a community builder. That's really what I see as what I believe God has brought me to this point in my life to do is to start building strong community in Eugene, and He wants to be involved in it. But obviously, we're doing it in a very unique way. And then I think I I represent kind of what you do, kind of like a a little bit under the surface guy who is a big part of the community, believes in this place, wants to see this place flourish, but realizes it needs to be lifted up from underneath, not pushed down on from the top. And so I like to dig down. I spend most of my days, once I get my perfunctory duties done, I'll drive around town and just look for Eugene to be happening. And I'll just dig into it. And it, and it's so random. And I, almost always I'll find a soft enough spot of soil where I can dig down in a little bit, get underneath something that's happening or some folks in our community or some neighbors and just start affirming. I mean, I can't use that word enough, Patty, affirming, just affirming people. You are who you are. I see you and I accept you and affirm you where you're at, who you are, what you're doing, no matter what it is or how bad or off the rails or great or amazing it is, all of it. I affirm it all where you're at. And I just want you to know we got a community here that ex- that would love to have you in it. Yeah. One of the things that I always say is to folks is they ask about what we're doing and I give them the five minute spiel. And then I say, what do you think it would look like if your story was part of ours? Well, yeah. What, what would that look like? And then they kind of go, oh, I don't know. And I said, you should think about it because you know what? I'm pretty sure that I believe firmly that the fingerprint you've heard, you know, science has proven it. No, no two are the same, right? That's, that's, inc- that's a mind blow, right? Billions of people on the surface, every fingerprint's different. That tells me based on the biblical text, that's an example of how we are all bearing the image of our creator somehow. And each one's a little different. That means that, if it's an image of the creator, if I deny someone or ex or exclude someone or push them to the side or give up on them or just look at them and think there's no way it's my loss because I'm now missing out on a picture of the creator that only they have. Right. No one else has it. And so it's our loss as a community. If we don't embrace all these folks and say, come on in, let's just do life together. Let's figure out this community together. Let's share the ups and the downs because you're going to come along somewhere and you're going to show us a piece of the beauty and the hope that only you're holding. And we want to see it. We need to see it because without it, it's too hard. Life's too hard without that hope. Yeah. It's interesting. The different ways that we can go about uh, building community. Cause my, you know, my last episode was with a guy, Tim Lewis, who's a filmmaker who's been interviewing houseless people and just people living in the Whitaker area during yeah. the pandemic. And it's just really interesting how he sees these people as just amazing and inspiring. Yeah. And there are a lot yeah. of them are really just really down on their luck or however you want yeah. to put it. And so I, I think 
like you're talking about affirmation and I, it's funny because maybe I'm, I'm looking into this too much, but I, I think you kind of caught yourself and you almost wanted to say that you accept them, but you don't want to say that because you're like, it's, it's our, what, my acceptance is sure it matters, but at the same time, it's like, that's not, it doesn't matter to that person. Like that person, that's yeah. not what it, that's not what it's about. I don't know how to word that. Yeah. I know what you're saying. You know, because there's these people, it's like, I'm not, I want you to, I want to affirm you to know that, that I love you and that I care about you. And it's, but it's not like you are now blessed because I've accepted you. Do you no. know what I'm saying? And that's not what it's about. You know, it's like the exact no. opposite. It's about yeah. acknowledgement. It's about, yep. it's about, we are a team and we are mm -hmm. a group here together. So I think that's really cool. Now I'm going to take a really quick break. I want to uh, give a shout out to my sponsor with my new technology here. And then we'll talk about tiny homes. So let's take a quick break. The Spent the Rent podcast is sponsored by Oregon Cashflow Pro, featuring Wealthcare Wednesdays, the live stream, a Q&A on all things finance. Go to OregonCashflowPro.com to find out more. More wealth, less debt, fast at Oregon Cashflow Pro. That was super fancy. That was the first time I've done <laughs> that. That was really awesome. Yeah, that was the first time I've done that. That's a shout out. That's how I pay the bills. That's a shout right out on. to Oregon Cashflow Pro for, for James Barber who is also yeah. an amazing community builder. So let's talk about tiny homes. So now the West Side Christian Church on 18th and Chambers, uh, tell me what was going on with that. So this is kind of a long-winded story, but that's why we're here. So yeah. uh, tell me about what was going on with that church. It was about to close essentially, or was it already closed? Yeah, so basically this gets back to that internship I had to do at my senior year at Bushnell. Um, and that's where I landed was at West Side Christian Church, kind of by a random connection. But I landed there and that church is, and I came into a very interesting story just right in the middle of it. I just jumped in, didn't even know it was there, but basically a couple years prior to my doing my internship there, they had realized that as a church, they were dying. It's not an uncommon story. They had become disconnected from the neighborhood. The neighborhood changed around them. They shrunk slowly and became a, mostly a, a group of folks who are quite a bit older and they couldn't afford to keep the lights on anymore. So they reached out to a bunch of different community organizations and said, what do we do? How do we get help handling like the transition of dying? What do we do with the building? All this stuff. And they ended up partnering with a church planning group up in Seattle, a Christian Evangelistic Association. And they came up with a very creative plan of, hey, let's do this. Let's bring in a leader who can help this church power down and then sell the building and take the proceeds from the building and let's start planting or beginning new churches in Eugene with those resources, the financial resources. But first we need to find this dynamic leader who can come in, who's closed the church down before, who started a brand new church before, who can coach other guys or women to start new churches. And they did a national search and you'll love this, Patty. People came, these dynamic leaders with great big fancy resumes came out from the Midwest and the Southeast. And they said, we love the plan. We love the big God vision. But there's no way in Sam Hell I'm bringing my family to Eugene, Oregon. This place is wacky. <laughs> and so it's just such a different, unique, quirky culture. People would come from Florida or Alabama and they'd come to Eugene and be like, nah, I cannot live here. And so this search went on ad nauseum. And that's when I entered the stream and they kind of had reached a tipping point of, hey, maybe this plan was great, but it's just not going to work. And they literally said at a meeting I was at, hey, we're looking now, the table's open, any plan B's out there. And I raised my hand and I said, I'll try. <laughs> I'm not a big fancy resume guy, but I'll I'll give it heck. I'll give it the old logger strong arm, if you will. And they said, okay, we'll try. And so they hired me and the, they said, okay, your first task is to help Westside power down to its final service, close the church. And once I got on the Westside scene as the full-time leader there, 
there's a covered porch in the front of the building right on 18th and chambers and some homeless folks had been there uh camping off and on and during particular evenings when it was raining and so i started to meet these folks and became friends with them and found out like so many of our stories today patty these were amazing humans oh my gosh i remember i'll never forget sitting a lot of people would recognize one of the fellows dresses like johnny depp from pirates of the caribbean he's always out on that yeah. intersection pirate bear is his name and and one hot summer day he was sitting out on the corner with his flying his piece of cardboard and i sat down with him and that man rattled off scripture that would put any pastor in Eugene, Oregon to shame and not just wrote memory. He was using it in context. And I was like, there is way more than meets the eye here. Yeah. And so I invited them up on the porch. I said, Hey, now I'm getting to know you guys. I can see that there's friendship here. Of course, come up and get out of the rain and have a place to sleep off out of the weather. But that snowballed out of control pretty quickly. And the church became like an I-5 rest stop for all these folks cycling through our community, experiencing homelessness. And the police had to get involved because things got a little out of control. And I'll never forget one of the police chiefs that was at the church cleaning up a mess one day. And he, I, I looked at him, I said, man, if I'm making this worse, tell me to stop and I'll listen. I'm not trying to make this neighborhood worse. And he looked at me and he said, Gabe, don't stop. He said, I can go all over the city and spit and hit someone who cares about the homeless crisis and wants to see it better. I can drive around all day and find not a single soul that wants to put their galoshes on it and step in the poop. Yeah. And he said, if you're willing to, we got your back. And I was like, okay, let's do it. So we created a partnership program with EPD and the Eugene city mayor's office. And we started working with these guys where they could stay on the porch. They were doing community service. They were helping out in the neighborhood and it worked like gangbusters. And of course, once they had a place in the neighborhood, their self-worth started to rise and they started to become known as a, a good part of the neighborhood, not an eyesore per se. And so that adventure just kind of unfolded like that. And uh, probably my favorite memory is we pressure washed the 7-Eleven one Saturday morning. And I'll never forget the store owner. I knocked, like he went and I said, hey, we're going to pressure wash your store because the front's gross. And he's like, you're going to what? I said, yeah, totally free, totally free. And so we're out there pressure washing and the pirate guys running the pressure washer and people are coming in like, what the heck is going on at 7-Eleven this morning? The pirates swabbing the decks. That's <laughs> oh, awesome. it was a scene. But it started to change that attitude in that neighborhood. It started to change the paradigm of homelessness in that little intersection. And once I got like a, <clears throat> you might say a taste of that, of affirmation leading to loving leading to serving, leading to hope, just starting to bubble up out of these folks and out of the ground there. I was like, this is it. This is my life's calling. This is where it's at. That's pretty special. You know, and it's interesting because I've talked about this on the show before, my many years, and a lot of times it was debauchery, just kind of wandering the streets late at night and 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 talking to people. I've met quite a few houseless people, tran you know, transients, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Uh, people that, that just don't get acknowledged a lot. And I've gotten to talking to them, and one common thread that is very popular in that community is Christianity, is yeah. oh, a yeah. strong, strong faith. And yep. it's really interesting because to me, anybody that combines money, wealth, like economic wealth and faith is is doing it wrong, in my opinion, oh, yeah. because that's not what it is <laughs> about, you know? I mean, so that is why I was inspired to want to learn more about what you're doing. So let's talk about the tiny homes and how this. Yeah. So, the, so, okay. So where are we at with this story? So now, so the this, this is the perfect segue. Yeah. Wind it down segue. or wound yep. it down and it was basically time for it to close. And so, yeah. So we had finally found a buyer for the church building. So it was time to go and it came kind of suddenly 
and it was a quick closing period and I kind of panicked because I did not want to leave my my brothers and sisters on the front porch high and dry or have to have the hard day of saying hey this has been great but you're out and it's over and so I started reaching out to community constituents I had formed relationships with around this work and I said I need help I need help transitioning my folks I want them to stick together because they had become a family unit on that porch and the family was so important to them that I didn't want to break that up Finally got uh, a lot of help from Dan Bryant, who's the director of Square One Villages. He had a site where he was able to transition our guys from the porch into shelters. And in the process of doing that, I'm talking to Dan. He's helping us out. And he one day, he's just like, hey, I, uh, I got to get going. I got to go get this job posting up on the Internet for this job we're going to hire for. And I'm like, oh, really? You should tell me about that. And he, he says, hey, I need someone to manage these sites. I need someone to do outreach and find um, folks on the streets who are in house who need access to shelter. And I said, I would love to do that job. And so I applied. And in the process of that, he said, you need to meet the other Gabe. And I said, oh, another Gabe. This could be interesting. And so I meet the other Gabe, Gabe Castile, who's a local builder. And he's got this prototype tiny home that's really unique. And that what I like best about it is it's humanitarian, humanitarian design and that. We've got all these different shelter structures around our community to help folks experiencing homelessness. We've got Conestoga huts, pallet shelters, tent places for tents, all this kind of stuff. But I got to think there's a big difference between all those options and a home. Here is your home. Here are the keys to your home. And he's built a very tiny, efficient uh, tiny home that obviously looks like a home. It's built with home materials. It's got a full-size front door. It's got a porch light. It's got a roof. It's got It's painted. And there's just a lot of value in saying, here's the keys to your house. This is your house now. Right. And that, and I loved that. And so I said, man, Gabe, we got to get together and do this. And he said, I'm ready to go. I just need a place to do it. And I said, well, I need a place to do my wacky church. And so he's like, well, okay. And I said, well, I'll find it. So I called the real estate broker. I said, I need leasing warehouse space, thousand square feet. Office would be nice. Bathroom required, good location, lots of parking for a big party. And I need it like free. And she laughed at me. <laughs> she's like, that's not real game. And she called me a couple weeks later and she's like, eh, eh, that's not a thing out there. You're out of luck. And then she called me a week after that late at night on a Tuesday. And she said, you need to call me back right now. She was talking to her neighbor across the fence, telling her the story about the crazy guy with the beard and the tiny homes. And he's like, I got a spot. It just came open. I haven't listed it yet. You should go look at it. And it was all the things we needed for like really, really cheap. And it was just the most. And she said, Gabe, this is not a thing on the marketplace. You need to take this. And we took it. And so now we're building these tiny homes in a warehouse, a shared space. Gabe works with a nonprofit in the area called Carry It Forward. And so they're helping him with some supplies and we're building tiny homes and we're doing church stuff and it's all mixed together in this awesome Eugene milkshake. And it's wow. great. Carry it forward. Uh, one of the co-founders, uh, Chris McAllister is yep. he's been on the show. He's a, a close, a dear friend of the show, someone I admire greatly. And yep. he's one of the many, 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 many MVPs in helping that the houseless community uh, Chris McAllister is an incredible person. So yeah, so there's a lot of crossover there. What an incredible, what yep. an incredible story. And I want to give an interesting shout out. That's going to be interesting for me to say, but the Eugene police, you had mentioned that your partnership with them, they, this is how, uh, I was able to prepare for this episode. Now I met you personally, like I said, in the barbershop, but the Eugene police, uh, did an incredible, incredible, uh, 
story about this. They had their mm -hmm. own camera crew. And, and yep. tell me about that process. Yeah. So when I first had that explosion of, of chaos at the church, when I tried to get this thing off the ground, not knowing what I was doing at all, and the police started helping him out, their, their community engagement specialist, Janina Rager, was the lead point on this, and Officer Timothy Hunt and Lieutenant Mozan. They really kind of came around me and said, here's a guy who's trying to get this figured out and we, we're going to help him. And so those folks and myself started working together pretty regularly with they would come to every meeting. Usually we had the weekly meeting for the po folks on the porch. They were always there. They were always bringing donuts. And what it really allowed us to accomplish was breaking down another wall. So many of these folks need help transitioning back into shelter and housing. Um, but the police have a negative connotation or uh, they've had negative experiences with the police department. And so the fact that here was some awesome humans from the police department, like getting down with me on the ground and putting the galoshes on, it just changed so many paradigms and, and preconceived notions. And we became a team and it is beautiful. And now um, I work for Square One. I oversee lots of sites that you see popping up around town. And these police officers, they do it with me. And I know that's not probably under their job description, but they care about what we're doing. They know it is probably a good solution to this and we've got to invest in it. And so they know all the folks I serve. They make it a point to circle around, make sure these folks feel safe because they're in these little villages, which aren't inherently safe sometimes. And uh, it's just been a beautiful partnership and it has all the signs of continuing for a very long time. And I could not be more thankful for these awesome police officers, because uh, I couldn't do it without them. There's no way. Right. There's and no I way. mean, I, I just think it's really important that, you know, uh, we have these conversations about religious leaders and, and churches and what churches do, because, you know, there's tax exemptions and all that kind of stuff. We can, yeah. get, in, we can get into all that <laughs> stuff. And then, and it's these kind of stories are what, why that's supposed to be, why that's a thing. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and, and so there's a bigger scale, obviously, you got places like the Mission. Yeah, that, that do incredible, incredible, incredible work. And it's not for everybody. There's people that are yeah. like, I don't want to go through this religious model, Yeah, you know, and, yeah. and that's fine too, you know, and, and whatnot. But I just think that it's a multi-pronged approach that we have yep. to tackle this by actually trying something and trying different things. And, and I yeah. just think it's good for, uh, you know, Christian outreach and also for the police department to get some yeah. good publicity every once in a while. I mean, it went, yeah. you got to give credit where credit's due. And, Absolutely. and they did a phenomenal job and obviously invested time and money and resources yeah. to put this feature together to spotlight you. And it was just beautifully done. I'm going to find a way to link it somehow. Maybe I'll put it in the comment section of this post. Cool. Of the Facebook page. And, and if there's, I'll, I'll see if I can find a YouTube to link to the YouTube as well. Cause it was really well done. So, yeah. so now you had mentioned uh, square one villages is the company that is making these tiny homes uh, that you've partnered with. Uh, what is it that I'm going to link their website in the show notes. Now you said you work with them. Uh, what is it that they do? I mean, they make tiny homes, but that's not the only thing they do. Yeah. There's a little bit of a, of a, of a nuance there. So square one villages, I actually work for as a, as an employee. And, and my role as square one villages is overseeing four of their villages. Their, their micro villages for folks experiencing homelessness and I also inter and help families connect to that. So I go out and under the bridges and find folks and connect and get them all on a pathway towards shelter and resources. Uh, the tiny homes are actually being built by Gabe Castile okay. with funding from Carrot Ford, and we're helping. And so that's kind of in this kind of weird nebulous space. But the idea being that, like you said, we need to start overlapping a lot of these things and so what the plan is is that as i manage more sites for square one 
the need for shelters will become greater and we will start to get the tiny homes out as shelter options into these sites that I manage. And so uh, Square One uh, is a more established community nonprofit in this work. Uh, they've been around for quite a while now, and uh, they're actually doing some low-income housing projects in Cottage Grove. And uh, my role with them, like I said, is overseeing the villages. And there's been a lot of uh, demand for these villages because they seem to be working. This sort of micro, uh, smaller approach to helping people form community and get stabilized in their lives seems to be a good ticket forward. And so there's a lot of demand from the city and the county to do more of these. And so I have a vision in my head of um, the square ones and the carry it forwards and the Chris McAllister's and the Dan Bryant's of the world are their hands are so full right now because there's so much need and there's so much to do. I'd like to see a radical step forward for the church in that the church becomes a provider in the community for these sites. What yeah. would that look like? How, how many long entrenched held, you know, beliefs about what the church is, should be, needs to be doing would be kind of messed with and crumbled a little bit. If all of a sudden the city is saying, Hey, we're going to sign a contract with a church to manage one of these sites, to build this site out, to make it uh, full of community for these folks to, um, begin to restore all the parts of their lives that were disrupted when they lost their housing. Yeah, and, and, it, and progress is slow in in, in some of this stuff. I mean, I, and I'm, I'm I'm more thinking about local government, where where I know in Springfield they've approved uh, certain lots to be used for RVs yeah. and different things like that. And it's pretty, yeah. it's pretty crazy how how it, the process will be so so slow, and then boom, when a decision yeah. is made, it's like yep. boom, now we're doing it, and it just really yeah. can change things and create opportunity and hope like you had said you were yeah. you know tr trying to provide hope to the community wow that's really cool now if people want to help out if people want to donate money uh proceeds and whatnot first of all is this i mean if this is something that you can talk about sure if you can't i understand but like how does for square one for example the villages you see that you oversee uh villages how does the funding source work you know for people to because there's money it costs money you know yeah, so what yeah. does that so process look like yeah. So on the whole, it looks basically more often than not, there's obviously little exceptions here and there, but more often than not, it's a contract from the city or the county. Okay. City or the county says, hey, we'd like to provide shelter for 400 more folks. And then they'll go to the Square One Villages team and they'll say, hey, here's a contract with X amount of financial resources for you to do this. Um, and then they sign the contract, the city hands the money over to square one and then square one goes out and uses the money to build a new village and get the porta potties on site, get the garbage service installed, um, have a staff person like myself hired to oversee it and bring people to it and get them inside the shelters. And so that's how the model works for there. So yeah, you can totally donate to that piece of it by going to square one villages website, squareonevillages.org, and they have a donation tab on there and you can give to that. And unfortunately for our, our crazy tiny home story, um, there's a way to give directly to the tiny home construction itself. And that would be on carry it forwards website because they're the ones that are leading that particular piece right now. And then as far as a church goes, I will say, yes, we always need more support financially to do great things. But for right now, since we're just getting started and we're building our community uh, as we do these great projects, I'd rather see all the resources go to those two groups. And I have an interesting thought that uh, one of the barriers that we've talked about for folks in that traditional church model is a lot of folks have the feeling or sensation when they go visit a church, because there's always that point in the service where they ask you to, to support financially with, you've heard tithe before, obviously. Sure. 
and it, and it ha- and it can have <clears throat> some churches do it really well. Others can kind of leave a little bit of a weird taste in your mouth when there's this ask for money at the end or at some point in the experience. And we've taken as my church leadership team for this new church, we've taken the stance of for the first season of life of this new baby church, any money that comes into us as support, we are going to give back out into the community to show that we are community minded. We want to see the entire community flourish, not just our little baby church flourish. And I got to think because of the way I believe the powers and hope work in this universe, that that's going to be just fine. That if we have that heart of giving, then we'll make that things will happen to make sure that we have what we need. But we always want to be leading that edge of, you know, here's a need in the community. And we want to be intentional that it's not not faith-based. We would like to give our money to organizations and movements in the city that don't necessarily have anything to do with faith or religion, just to show that we want to be involved in all the goodness of Eugene. Uh, and and we want all that separation out. It's unity. I mean, it's, it's about bringing people of different beliefs or together. And also, you know, if you have that type of attitude, you're going to inspire people to be like, wait a minute, maybe I've been wrong about some of these criticisms that I've had for, for Christianity, yeah. you know, and so you're, yep. you're, you're catching those people, like we said before, that are falling through the cracks. Yeah. So I will link Carry It Forward's website also in the show notes and then squareonevillages.org as well. So that if people would like to donate, they can. When I think of tithing, I think the most important thing you can donate is time, you know, yeah. because if yep. it's, I mean, if you gave, if every one of us, and this isn't just religious setup, but if, yeah. you, if every one of us took 10% of our time and and said screw profits let me just think about actual time and dedication towards helping people that are underprivileged uh you know underrepresented we could really see a better tomorrow so so i think so i think time is a big thing and obviously i mean from what you're telling me you've put in more than the 10 percent that's that's expected you know of your time yeah it's required absolutely and i think you're right so the the Bible's actually not really that pointed on it being money. You're right, Patty. It's the top 10% or it's the first fruits, which essentially means what's the best of you? Whatever the best of you, if that's money, fine. If that's your time, fine. If that's your brain or your intelligence or your experiences, whatever is the best of you, you should be offering the best of you out to the world. So like you said, folks who are on the margins that need help and love the most, I I tell from day one when we started working at Westside with with these amazing humans on the front porch. Hold on. I'm losing you for a second here. So we are back. We had a little technical difficulties. Uh, We're back with Pastor Gabe. We've got you on the phone. We're going to wrap this up. And I apologize to my listeners and viewers uh, if we were in the middle of something, but we kind of got cut off. The magic of the internet sometimes falls apart. So, Pastor Pastor Gabe, you're there? I sure am, Patty. So we're going to uh, wrap this up, but I just want to say thank you for sharing your story and and whatnot. And I think you're doing really inspiring things, and, and I look forward to building a, a, a relationship with you moving forward. Uh, and so we're going to mention one more time uh, to donate. If you'd like to help out with this cause, you can donate to squareonevillages.org and also carry it forward. And I'll have links to both of those in the show notes. So pastor Gabe, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate you. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Patty. It's been a great morning to chat with you and share this story with the community. And I, I as well will be looking forward to further relationship and this story growing and helping a lot more people out and making this community uh, a better place each day. 
Absolutely. So we're going to end this with a song, and I picked a Christian rapper, a local MC named Newborn, uh, and he sent me a track that he had done with his 12-year-old son, Tony. So this is Newborn featuring Tony. The song is called All Odds. Took my dad away to prison, I was devastated I never knew that God had chosen him to be the man Let it depend on, he could teach me how to understand The ways of God to go, I'm trying to be a true disciple To give me strength through all my trials and all about survival The enemy, he trying to get me in, I know it's real You cannot step up to a child of God, you know the deal You must rebuke him in the name of Jesus, read your Bible And be prepared for when he comes home to take every child I go to heaven and I see my family feel no pain I love you, Jesus, and I see you over and everything. I'm on a mission just to go and be the best I can. My name is Tony, and I'm really trying to spread the word. I love you, God, my Heavenly Father, you're the one I serve. Against the laws of God the Father, everything's been overcome.